I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We have to watch forgetting what movie we were supposed to cover tonight, Aaron. Say anything? Like, farts, I don't know. What movie are we supposed to cover tonight? You can say anything. High Fidelity? What did you watch? (laughs) Both. I'm prepared. Okay. Okay. We're say anything. I haven't watched High Fidelity. I'm aware of the chronology of time. Is that the opening? Yeah, we'll cut it somewhere in the... Where? You didn't say anything. You just asked what movie we're covering. (laughs) (laughs) It's not common that the person starting the Who's On First gets sick of it before the person that's going to be completed. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay, great. Sure. uh, Whatever. Whatever. Where we love to watch. We're movie podcasts. We pick a theme. We movies over the course of the month around that theme. We're doing uh, the evolution of John Cusack, but or a pair of Cusacks. Two Cusacks, <laughs> two, two in the two in the Cusack, two in the Cusack. Uh, where we're covering uh, sort of uh, uh, thematically similar John Cusack movies from uh, one set from the perspective of a high school student, and one set from the perspective of a late twenty, early thirty something. Uh, and we're in our second set. Our second sack of yeah, movies. Will. Our second sack. Uh, we we finished uh, Better Off Dead, Girls Point Blank, and now we're doing Say Anything and High Fidelity. High Fidelity will be next week, and Say, uh, Say Anything is Cameron Crowe's first uh, movie as a director that covers uh, John Cusack being a lovesick high school student who falls in love with Iona Skye, the valedictorian, the sort of uh, above it all from a school perspective, really not not in a not in a mean way, but just in a really focused on school and not on high school perspective, and uh, them dating, falling in love over the course of a summer, right before she is about to embark on a scholarship to England, and in there is also uh, she has a very close relationship with her dad, where the title comes from. Uh, in, in, in many ways, it's actually a movie about uh, Iona Skye's character more than John Cusack's character, but uh, people tend to remember John Cusack more uh, as the lead of this movie, although I would say he is not kind of the lead of this movie. But we're going to get into all that. The other thing that happened, Peter, I haven't watched this movie in a while. This is a movie that I first saw in high school. I know you have a lot of uh, to share about how you kind of fell in love with this movie. This is such a perfect high school movie. Like, to watch when you're in high school, it has all of those big feelings, uh, both by way of falling in love, pining for someone, breakups, getting back together, all the other stuff that comes through that. I know there was a lot of critical, positive critical response to this movie outside of high school students when it came out. Roger Ebert famously gave it uh, three and a half stars. Cameron Crowe cites him as the reason it, it didn't lose money at the box office because it, it it did a little bit better than Breaking Even, but it was not a huge 
it was not a huge hit until uh, Roger Ebert started champing and and then also uh, eventually included on his great movie series. I think it would be like I I it's really hard for me to step outside myself and and think even as I was watching it uh, tonight actually or finishing it up tonight and wondering, man, would I have fallen in love with this movie for the same way if I wasn't completely in the character's headspace the first. 30 times I watched it because, you know, Peter, I turned 40 over this last weekend. And my I think my new take on this movie is that these people are children and they should not be allowed to kiss. No, no, certainly not. Not kiss, not heavy petting in the back of a car. I think (laughs) there should be laws passed to stop people from feeling these feelings against each other. That's my new take. This is Uh, your, you've you've now crossed 40s, now you're the John Mahoney. I should, yeah, I should. Focus on your school! I'm (laughs) robbing old people here! Uh, No, I obviously, I, I, uh, it's still a very sweet movie, and it's still, it's it's on my, like, you know, favorite 250 list that I put together, or whatever. Uh, And I, I think it still belongs there. I, though, like, the, the, the the deep connection I had to this I appreciate in retrospect uh, as and and still think it's a very well written well made movie it's not my favorite uh, crow movie I think that's almost famous but uh, it he had a really good run of great movies before he decided to buy zoos featuring mm-hmm. Matthew Damon exclusively yeah and um, Helen Elizabeths yeah I never saw that one I actually don't think I saw any of those movies that everyone I didn't either. Uh, I haven't but, seen. I haven't seen uh, a lot of his la- his uh, latter day work. Alo- I didn't see Aloha, Elizabeth yeah. Town. Neither. I haven't but, seen a lot of his latter day stinks. But this was, you know, my history of this. I again, I talked about uh, falling in love with Cusack with Gross Point Blank and trying to watch so many of his other movies. This was, of course, the next immediate one I fell in love with. Right. It was also, I think, my first Cameron Crowe movie, which kind of poised me for two two things I was very excited about that came out in the year 2000, Almost Famous and High Fidelity, one of which we'll be talking about next week because I had then went and watched Jerry Maguire and was, you know, this this was kind of a seminal movie for me. This was a uh, if I have a first date movie or a second date movie that I wanted to show someone, this would be high on the list of movies to show like this was. Uh, yeah, this was something that obviously, after everything we've talked about this month, I was like, oh, I love this. This is this is the kind of relationship I want. Passionate love that goes off into the plane of unknowingness together, but at least you have each other by by your side. So uh, this, this was a big one for me. Uh, Peter, I think, though, this was like, this was the movie that made you fall in love with Cusack, right? And has a, this was kind of the one. This well, this one in, in High Fidelity I saw when I was I was very young. Um, but this one I saw after High Fidelity, and but like at almost the perfect age. Like, oh, I mean, I guess basically the perfect age. I watched it with the girl that was like she was the Ione Sky character. Yeah. Like, I watched the girl that was that was that person. Um, and I. Uh, it was like a movie that I wa- I watched in a way that I felt like my reflect my experiences were being reflected on screen in a way that like there weren't a lot of great teen movies in the two thousands. No, like there were like occasionally I'd not see unless you reflected. wanted to see some nudity. <laughs> <laughs> they they did they swapped from making movies that were about like the normal high school experience to making TV shows like Dawson's Creek about that. And then the movies, they moved into... It was all like... Sex or murder. Yeah. 
sex or murder movies like horror movies about college kids getting killed which sucked or sex comedies which i still to this day i'm not interested in yeah road trip euro trip american van Van wilder van wilder like not none i'm not interested in those to this day i wasn't interested in those when i was a wild college kid yeah um just like uh the douche stink was too too pungent on well and you missed it a little bit too like all those movies were coming out when i was in college so i remember seeing a lot of them in theaters and being mostly disappointed i think old school was the one that i haven't watched in probably 20 years but i remember loving at the time uh but like yeah the road trips the uh 40 what was the what was the one where josh hartnett like gave up sex for lent that like I thought it was one of the worst. Forty days and forty nights. Yeah, just a fucking terrible movie. Like all, (laughs) but but the early two thousands were horny as shit. Like, and all of the movies were were both very horny, but also very weirdly sexless, which is like a whole nine eleven thing that we don't need to get into. Like they kind of replaced the constant nudity of your eighties teen sex comedies with like a ton of sex without any of the nudity um and none of no sexuality really like in yeah in the first american pie there's like a sweet tender losing your virginity scene yeah and then that entire era was just like wall to wall like if you're seeing sex it's for comedy purposes yeah yeah uh so it's yeah it's almost like less horniness too it's like uh horniness for the sake of bad comedy uh but you know this 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 movie is obviously different but i would say that even um, you know, Cameron Crowe was kind of responsible for a movie that's kind of remembered as an early sex comedy. Um, I think it, there's a lot more to it than that. But as the as the writer of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, who he also went undercover in high school, uh, never been kissed style, I guess, to to document what kids were really like or whatever back then. Um, but even, you know, Roger, that was in that Roger Ebert called out that this was different than even the PG, PG-13 teen romance movies of its era as well of like taking the emotions of the characters seriously in a way that like in in a in a and and taking their overall life situation seriously in a way that most movies do. this movie is barely a comedy like there is some funny stuff that's kind of like gallows humor like the it's in a million DVD bins as rom-com classics or whatever. Yeah. Like kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's some funny stuff specifically with, like, how, uh, how, uh, uh, persistent Lloyd is or some of the other things or, like, you know, some good heartbroken, like, comedy lines. There's a couple good, like, jump cuts of, like, that's it, I'm never calling her again, and then cutting to, like, him leaving, like, this is my eighth and final message on her med- Like, there's some of those things, but it's, even then, it is, like, it is comedy at, it's, like, instead of crying, you're laughing at, like, what this person's going through. It's not made to make fun of the characters. And almost, they almost never use comedy the way that, say, like, um, sitcom TV does, which is, like, um, or a lot of sitcom movies do, which is, like, you're feeling like a genuine, very serious emotion, yes. and then the joke is there to cut through that tension. The way that they actually, similarly, the way they use it in horror movies, like something yeah. funny will happen in the middle of a very tense sequence to like kind of like let the audience like take a breath. And like uh, this movie is not really interested in that. It's actually like no. a movie that if you are not watching it in the right headspace, it's a tough watch because 
you are, if you're watching it from the perspective that Lloyd is like you, Lloyd goes through a lot of shit. Like, yeah. it's tough for, it's tough for Lloyd if you're, if you're watching it from Ioni Sky, Ioni Sky's perspective, like, it's, it's tough shit. Like, they're both going through a lot, and like you kind of hinted at, um, Lloyd is almost like, um, <clears throat> Lloyd is almost like a catalyst in her life. Like, the movie is yeah. about the two men in her life pulling her in two separate directions and the final conflict of the movie is her having to determine what path she's taken she's taking um with or without these men part of it right and also like kind of finding out that like oh like finding someone that is the opposite of her father who has put all Mm -hmm. this pressure on her and sort of in a very manipulative way, like controlled her life and finding someone that is the opposite of that. Like, I'm just going to let you exist and I'm going to enjoy being around you without trying to define how we spend our time together, what you're doing with your life. Like, just let me be there to support you, which is, you know, one of the things that like, you know, you, you hear a lot of, like, uh, in, like, uh, in different advice columnists or stuff like that that'll talk about, like, you know, what a strong relationship is someone who doesn't expect their spouse or their partner to take – to put the, make them their first priority but make their – everything they care about their first priority and let me be beside – like, make, make me your second or your third priority who's there to support you while you achieve your dreams and do things you want to do and to help you where I can and stuff like that. Like, you know, and so it – he really has that, I think, you know, that that kind of perception is so different from men in romantic movies, right? Like, there's definitely some, you know, kind of, like, immaturity creepiness that happens. Like, you know, she finds it really charming that he's following her around a party. Uh, it plays well because, like, John Cusack's really good at playing someone who's not doing it in a sinister or a creepy way, but in a sweet, like, I said, I know that you're out of your element, and I said I'd be here to help out, so that's all I'm doing. I'm not here to interfere or watch you or stalk you. But, like, some of that's or, like, the going outside of someone's house and raising a a, a boombox, it's kind of a minor point in this movie, which is... Uh, even though it's used for every single like parody moment or, or, you know, the cover of the DVDs, it is kind of a tiny moment in this movie. It's not like a big finale or the point. Where she doesn't run outside and hug him. No, but I like, remember this movie wrong in many ways. And we'll talk about, I do that with high fidelity as well. We'll talk about that. Both, both of those later, but yeah. like, um, the, the, the big moment that everyone knows from this movie is holding up the boombox. Yeah. It's been parodied a thousand times. It does not end with her running outside and hugging him and him putting the boombox down. It Do- doesn't happen until 30 minutes later. Like, it is that ineffectual, like, but it's recognizable from I wasn't ready for this relationship to end and I'm trying to do something. Like, like when he's when he has that, like, uh, you know, f- phone call where he's like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? And it's not like he's, you know, I think the going outside of someone's house and raising a boombox borders on, uh, you know, as the onion would called it, like uh, uh, rom-com behavior uh, gets man arrested for stalking or whatever that whatever that thing is like. It's it's something that isn't isn't I think like don't go do that don't go imitate that. But in the movie, it is not this like intrusive moment. It is it is literally impotent and ineffectual like i need to try to do something and just trying to remind her of this song that she said like i should listen to is the best i is the best i have but like 
putting aside all of that stuff that I think you could make the case of like some of it plays better uh, and some of it, you know, it's like, don't, you know, please don't, please don't do that to anyone. But this but, is certainly not the movie to, this is certainly not the movie to you've got male approach it. Where yeah. you're like, oh, that's actually really manipulative. Like, yeah. That's not, that's actually not fair for you to have this crucial piece of information about her that she doesn't have and withhold it to have yeah. power over her. Like, there's a lot of rom-coms that have way creepier, um, Sleepless in Seattle has a lot of fucked up shit that we talked about. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of rom-coms that have way creepier shit going on. Because so, I mean, so tough. much, so much of the rom-com structure is like, is based on lies, right? Like, that oh, is such a crucial... Minutes? Yeah, it's it's so much of it is based on like someone knows a piece of truth and is hiding it from the other person. I'm pretending to be poor. I'm pretending to be rich. I'm pretending like to how to lose a guy in ten days. I'm pretending to just be a someone who wants to make you fall in love, but I'm actually a, a newspaper. Like so much of romantic comedies are based on some hidden secret or lie that needs to get resolved, which is not a great way in your real life. Don't let that. Even if you're attracted, start not a way to start a relationship. Uh, very manipulative, not great. But I do think what's really interesting about Lloyd as our like typical male protagonist in a romantic movie is he has almost no desires or goals outside of letting Diane do what Di- whatever Diane wants to do in existing side by side, which is so different. Most He's of the kind time, of a manic pixie dream boy. <laughs> he, I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Like he, which is so, I mean, so different even now. So many of these movies, even the ones that are, you know, from the perspective that is told through the perspective of like a female protagonist, as opposed to a male protagonist, it's usually like the 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 male the typical you know male who is like I have this I want to do and I want this one to do and I don't know where you fit into this or like you know blah 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 and it's this is really like I think the only movie I can think of off the top of my head where like you know he he you know manic pixie dream boy is kind of the right thing like he just wants her to exist and he wants to be a part of that. And besides, you know, an interest in kickboxing, he really doesn't have anything else he wants throughout the course of the movie. And that is that is different from, obviously, the sex comedies that we that came out in the 2000s. But it's also different from the movies that came out in the 80s or the 90s. Uh, even later movies by Cameron Crowe, like Jerry Maguire. The whole point of that movie is here's a driven man who wants certain things. Does this guy even have time for love? Like he just wants to date supermodels and uncomplicate things. Cause he's a career focused guy. Uh, you know, even almost famous, like, which is not it's your typical, like has a romance within that is about like, you know, a, almost a, a romantic triangle between a 15 year old who wanted to write for war Rolling Stone. And then wants to just be a protector of this person that he's, you know, amazed by, Versus the other guy who wants to treat this woman like a, uh, like a, like someone he can just use as he needs to while being the frontman of a rock band. Like, there's not, there's nothing, there's not even like a motivation you can ascribe to Lloyd besides Diane Court that's really meaningful. Which is again just an odd thing that separates this from most other movies. Yeah, and I was sort of, I was sort of, I was jokingly calling him a manic tricksy, yeah, uh, tricksy manic pixie dream boy. <laughs> It's a overused term, um, the girl girl version. We ha- we have like kind of a sense of Lloyd's 
heart and how he's what he's feeling and yeah. like we get a good bit of transparency there we get a sense that like people like lloyd and like lo- like quite admire lloyd yeah um we don't get um a lot of his internal life and that's like a purposeful part of this movie is that like lloyd is kind of listless and throws himself into the into this relationship like he has an infatuation the first night goes well unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they just kind of like roll into each other as like this convenient thing. Um, and it takes them a little bit to realize, like it takes her a little bit to realize she's in love with him. But he has, de- he like pre-decided that he was in love yeah. with her before he had even spoken more than a sentence to her. Right? Yeah. The, the point of that is that he is sort of a person who's like, I've got these three interests. I love my nephew. I love my sister. I love kickboxing. And I have a, and I have particular apprehension to approaching relationships the way all these frat boys around me do. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to, like, it, literally the first part of the movie, he says, like, like let me, let, let it hurt me or whatever. He, yeah. says, he says, like, he I want to like, get hurt. I want to get hurt. And then the movie yeah. kicks off, right? Yeah. Um. It's it is almost a movie setting you up to destroy Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, and those like other typical kind of like toxic masculinity that that this character does not surround himself with, except to you know all all of the all of his friends are women, and at one point he's like, as he's trying to get over his hurt, he hangs out with kind of all these tools that you've been seeing throughout the movies that had have a bad opinion of of women. And he hangs out with him for a little bit and he's like, you know, he realizes like it's almost like the the uh, unmaking of an MRA, like before that was a term. Like he's like, oh, my God, like I am really hurt and I'm really frustrated with the way my relationship went south. But I definitely don't want to turn into this like turning into this would be a failure of like who I am as a person as opposed to anything to do with Diane. And so like. This is the wrong way to go, which, again, like, it feels so different. Like, when when is there a romantic comedy? Even, like, stuff that we watched, you know, um, earlier, uh, Better Off Dead, where he has Booker or whatever. Curtis Armstrong is his, like... And the joke in that movie is that he's completely helpless at being... And offering any help in his romantic trials and tribulations... But there's always there's someone. Aphorisms. Like, yeah, that's get, a parody there, of champ. a character. There's always someone, and and this is you know this is a movie where Lloyd is surrounded by his best friends are are women, and as he tries to say, well, maybe that's my problem that I cared too much and I was too sensitive and I you know treated Diane like a human being. Maybe I should go hang out with these people who who are misogynist, creepy assholes. And he rejects it almost immediately. He's like, I, this is not for me. Nope, not going to be and this person. The, and you're right. So the thing that usually unnerves me most about rom-coms is that um, there's usually a... The main character is usually not an outright misogynist. Like yeah. maybe, maybe occasionally they have misogynistic ideas. Like in like like in Nora Ephron movies, you've, you've got male, like a, a little bit of a cad. Right. Yeah, there's usually a womanizing man in Nora Ephron movies that like, yeah. um, like Alec Baldwin and in you know like, um, Tom Hanks even in one or two of those. Like there's usually a womanizing uh, man who uh, kind of um, is played off sympathetically. Um, cause it's supposed to be, speak to some sort of deep sadness or something. 
Um, or like I've slept with hundreds of thousands of women and you're the one woman I actually love, like that kind of thing. And then it, and then they have a best friend who is usually actually fairly misogynistic. There's Dave, Dave, uh, Dave Chappelle is very charming and you've got male, but like some of the stuff he's saying about like, well, that's just the way women are like it. It, it does ring very false. And that. Yeah, because that that's that's the template of these movies, right? They, someone gets hurt. And there's like a, this is why I told you, you shouldn't have feelings. And he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have feelings for women. They're the worst. And like, and they're like, even though most romantic comedies end with a turn from that because they decide they still have a chance with this woman or they do actually like them. It's like, you know, like if you outside of the movie trope perspective, it's like, well, you made yourself very unlikable in the middle of this movie. Now I don't know if I want you to get back with this person and your friend sucks. Like that's a bad message to send just because you had a breakup. Yeah. And a lot of it is like of the times, right? Like the comedy of the nineties and the eighties was very misogynistic, just like as a base. And if a, if a male comedian managed to not do that, sorry, male comedians of the eighties and nineties were very misogynistic. Plenty of, of women comedians too. Um, but, uh, if they managed to not go out on stage and talk about why women are dumb and you just have to give them flowers or whatever. Like if they managed to not do that stupid tropey, uh, awful bullshit, like if weirdly is like revolutionary and then they'll make a joke about why Chinese people drive this way or whatever. And then, then you're like, Oh, okay, never mind. You're back to, you're back to the standards of an eighties comedian, very low. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Like that, like, Comedy in the 80s and the 90s, I think, was, like, kind of inherently misogynistic. And, like, the comedians that I still admire from that era, honestly, most of them didn't talk about dating and gender stuff. Like, I still admire George Carlin a lot and a lot of his records from the 70s. The 70s through when he died, I have varying levels of respect for. But I don't disrespect George Carlin for not, um, for uh, having weird misogynistic rants. I will be like, oh, this is a kind of a, one of his weak points when he kind of lost the thread. He's just kind of being silly, but not funny. A li- um, yeah, a, li- a little I, bit too much on grammar on this one. Like a Stephen Wright or something like that. Yes. Right? Or like, yes, yes, yes. Like a little too formalistic. Like, yeah. Like, uh, like but, yeah. It's hard to go back to those uh, Eddie Murphy and Sam Kinison yeah. specials. Oh, my God. Well, I never well, got into Sam Kinison because I, uh, I went woke. I got broke. No, I went woke. Uh, and you could, you could afford the DVD specials. <laughs> and I remember watching them and it was just like a lot of yelling about his ex-wife. And I was like, I'm 15. This isn't funny. And then I was like married and I was like, this is still not funny. Yeah. But like we were saying, though, like it's it's true. You have like you have so many of the common beats from these meetings while like being different from any other movie. And so like it's not... You know, it, it's it's not surprising that I think, Peter, that you or I, even at a younger age, um, gravitated towards this sort of thing. Like, you know, I went through breakups and I was, you know, the the part of him going through the breakup and like not trying to turn on <laughs> the concept of women was something like, you know, I had a lot of friends who were who were girls or women and stuff like that, too. And like, you know, you know, also I had a bunch of like sensitive theater friend like <laughs> Like I, you know, it's not like I didn't. I didn't have the the Jeremy Pivens I was hanging out with, even at even at uh, in high school or college. But like, yeah, this you know this felt there was a part of this movie I remember telling people like it was what I wanted out of a relationship. It's also what I wanted out of a breakup. Like 
You know, like that idea of like, I can be hurt and I can be in pain and I can go listen to the songs that were meaningful and cry and be sad and, you know, drive around and not feel connected. But also like that I don't want to lower myself and become someone I'm not just because I'm in pain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I, I had a breakup in college that I distinctly remember. Um, she broke up with me and I distinctly remember going like to a friend's room and just being like, oh man, I just got nuked. Like, this, this <laughs> sucks, man. Uh, and, uh, if, and then he was like, I'm sorry, man, like he's very compassionate. And then like two days later, we were out at the bar and then, like, the versions of all of those guys basically materialized, like, to be like, not to be like, hey, get back out there, you know, like, you just gotta, like, you know, go talk to other women and see that that was not the only woman in the world or whatever. It was, like, not that encouraging. It was more just like, man, yeah, women will just tear your heart, heart out, man. Like, I had this girl and just, like, she just did that. And it's just like, what they do, right? They set you up and they knock you down and they want to make sure they've got another guy set up before they, like, just shit that's just, like... Very yeah. and, and and then stuff I don't really want to repeat, but like stuff that's just very misogynistic. I remember the time being like, no, I, I don't really have anything against women. I I just I there was someone that didn't want to date me anymore. Yeah. I disagreed with her assessment, but I have to accept it. Um, yeah, and then you just kind of you just kind of like accept your fate and learn how to live with yourself for a little bit. And like the hard part about that journey is, yeah, not becoming embittered and not closing yourself off to new experiences in the meantime, and most definitely not getting sucked up into like the everyday misogyny of these douchebags, right? Yeah, like it's okay to wallow. Like it's okay to be sad. Like you know the the just saying I've just been driving around and things like that, listening to music, like. You know, that that is like that connection with reality. Like, yeah, that's, you know, I, I still remember like driving down a very specific street after a after a breakup. I don't even think it was a, it wasn't one of a big breakup, but just be like went on a few dates and ended and just feeling like, you know, driving down the street at night at, you know, midnight and listening to music playing really loud and stuff like that. And it's just like. You know, those are the kind of points of connection that it's okay. You know, it's okay to f- wallow. Like, it's okay to be sad. Like, that's something, like, you tell, you know, your kids. Like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be f- mad. It's okay. Th- these are real feelings. And, like, you don't have to be like, I'm above it. How dare anyone hurt me? Or how dare I be hurt by the situation? But, again, it's it's not about the feelings you're feeling it's about how you respond to them and like again going outside someone's lawn and putting a boombox works in a movie <laughs> don't do it in real life but like that still that kind of sense of like i want to be reminded of this song because for this moment i'm gonna wallow in this yeah. tender moment that is now like you know a good memory that became a bad memory and like a song that i relate to a good experience that now is probably hurting a bad experience like that's okay without deciding like a, a specific gender is like they did it on purpose it's a conspiracy forget it uh like you know so i i i really like there's there's a lot to praise about the acting in this movie the characters i think the way that like there's a lot in there with her relationship with her dad as like someone who um it was funny because I, I watched this with my my daughter 
Oh, it's been a while since I'd seen this movie, and I'm like, I couldn't remember if John Mahoney's character was a pretty good guy who made a mistake or kind of not so good of a guy who was doing a lot of bad things. And I'm like, yeah, I said, I think he's a good guy. He just he does make a mistake with the stealing. And then as the movie went on, she was like, he is not a good guy. He is trying to control. Like, I'm like, yeah, a lot of things that he <laughs> forgot about how that relationship worked. But like. You know, like th- there's a lot there that's that's worth praising, and 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 um, the soundtrack's really good, and a lot of stuff like that. But that's the, that's what makes this movie so good, and it, it raises it above a lot of its peers, especially yeah. 80s, especially eighties romantic movies. Yeah, like, like Sixteen Candles and Pretty in Pink are like I think, I think personally, uh, movies that I don't think uh, depict very healthy or uh, you know worthwhile um, romantic relationships. They are at best very shallow. Um, this movie, like, embraces the complexity of all three characters, that, like, people have dualities, and, like, nobody yeah. is, nobody is the person that they appear to be on the, on the, the surface. That doesn't mean that they're evil underneath, but, like, yeah. it means that, it, that when you give people a chance to express themselves, you learn more about them, right? And that's true of the main three characters. Yeah. It's true of, it's true of a lot of random one-off characters in this movie, too. Yeah. But the other thing you're hitting on that I think is 100% right is that why this movie is such a good... movie to watch when you're in high school is because i'm sure when i saw in high school i was like oh they're gonna be together like and again my concept of forever was side by side yeah yeah like they found they found each other and stuff like that and again my which is why i think high fidelity or even just us doing this episode is an interesting look back because again knowing what we know and having gone through the ups and downs of high school college and you know adult relationships you're right. We're not seeing red flags and like he's kind of a jerk and he's only going to care about money or something like that. But we are seeing like, ooh, this is going to be tough because we've been through tough situations that we didn't when we saw this when we were 17. Yeah. And, and, and the movie is very forgiving, I think, of the movie is very forgiving of that sweet, youthful, like abandon. I think that, like, a lot of people react to this movie when they're young or if they have good memories of, of those relationships. I think a lot of people react that way because um, it's honest. It's honest. It embraces the inherent uncertainty of life. As adults, we like to pretend because we have more economic control over our lives or locational control over our lives. Like, we, you know, we can turn down that job that moves us to Iowa. Um, you know, we can... Um, continue to to marry that we can marry that person whatever the fuck we want we don't have to check with our parents um as an adult because you have more inherent control than you do as a teenager we we trick ourselves into thinking that that makes life more certain when in fact like we have more experience so maybe we make less dumb naive mistakes maybe maybe yeah i mean we still make them but you know maybe we make yeah, we know that number. kickboxing yeah. <laughs> isn't the sport of the future. The the sport of the future is, of course, future sport starring Dean Cain. <laughs> I mean, why would they call it? Come on. Yeah. Feet of the past. Yeah. It's never coming out. It's always in the future. Yeah. Sport of the future. Future sport. Yeah. It's like the dip and dots of sports. Yeah. <clears throat> um, But I think that inherent uncertainty to life is like, it's something that all of us just at times we either embrace the excitement of the and the beauty of the uncertainty of life and we and we say you know like i like i don't know if this relationship's going to last forever i don't know if this living situation is going to last forever I, like we embrace that um or we 
become so fearful of uncertainty that we begin to lie to ourselves and tell, <laughs> tell her, like, there's absolutely no way my wife would ever, would ever leave me. Like, absolutely. There's zero, zero percent chance. There's no way that my life would go in such a way that she wouldn't want to be married to me anymore. Like, there's, <laughs> like, the Hareton... We yeah. like to we like to put these we like to put these grand pronouncements on our life, or we like to pretend like oh well, wait, what's I'm this? Not, what's no. this? I'm reading this. No fault divorce. That can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> like I I was able to cross some really great milestones in the past four years. I got married. Um, we bought a house. Um, like you know, we bought a zoo. We bought a zoo, which technically has a house, but it's for monkeys. Yeah. Um, so technically, own two houses, one usable by me. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, uh, I've gone through some pretty, and like, you know, and I, I have a much more stable job than I had four years ago. Like just a lot of stuff, right? I'm more economically sound. Yeah. That doesn't mean that like uncertainty and crazy life changes and a shock to the economy or something like yeah. that won't like, it doesn't mean like, I've, I've like things. Yeah. I, I've now that I've got all of these things in my hands, nothing will ever go bad ever. <laughs> like, yeah. And you know <laughs> that if things do go bad, you'll have your friends, Eric Stoltz and Jeremy Piven to turn to, to offer some advice about how to handle it. So yeah. we're set. I think that's the perfect segue. I'm stoked Peter, for Stoltz. Uh, yeah. He got cut from back to the future. Got to be the eighth lead and say anything. <laughs> and the 12th lead in uh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, yeah. He was still on the poster for that one. Mm-hmm. Way down near the bottom. Uh, are you ready to talk more about Say Anything? starts with John Cusack, plays Lloyd Doblin. Uh, this movie has a great tagline, by the way. Um, we don't talk about taglines that much. Not that interesting. This might not be interesting either, but I always like the tagline. It was, uh, uh, to know Lloyd Doblin. I'm doing this from memory. That's how much I, I, I like it. It was, uh, to know uh, Lloyd Dobler is to love him. Diane Court is about to get to know Lloyd Dobler. Which I think is a really good tagline. Yeah, I I think it's really good. If you could see Peter's face, you would know that even though he's saying yeah on microphone, he disagrees with me. That's good. (laughs) Does not think it's it's interesting. What do you like better, that or Trapped in Time? Trying to buy you low on gas. Those Um, for some reason those are like the two taglines that I remember in high school being like, those are good taglines. Yeah, the only tagline that means anything to me is uh, for the Super Mario Brothers film. Oh, Um, well, yeah, because that's a serious one. Well, that one I think indicates um, what plane of reality we're talking on, right? Like, it, it ain't no good. I think the tagline for the new one is "This is a game, basically." <laughs> this is a video game. This adaptation. is just the game. This is just this the is game. game. Um, uh, yeah. So Lloyd is sitting talking to his two friends. He's sitting with his two friends, Corey, played by Lily Taylor, and DC, played by Amy Brooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, did you see that Pamela Adlin was the sometimes third friend? Yes. Um, I, I was like, who is that? 
Molly <laughs> Molly recognized her and she was like, "Who is that?" And I was like, "If her voice was twenty percent more smoky, yeah, <laughs> would you recognize her?" And she was like, "Oh my god, yeah." What's funny is Molly mostly doesn't know, Molly wouldn't know Pamela Adlin from like her voice work or whatever. She would know her from watching Louie with me. Yeah. She's still, I mean, she still watches Louie all the time. <laughs> She's really behind on news. Yeah. She, I, you were she, like, do not check Twitter. Uh, yeah. So he's talking about uh, Diane Court in between uh, Corey, uh, who's who has a guitar, talking about uh, Joe, who broke her heart, and kind of saying, kind of comparing that if he dated Diane court uh it would be better than her relationship with joe who's a who's a dickhead and a jerk and we're gonna find that out later in the movie as well um but uh yeah Di- as described diane is the valedictorian no one really knows her at school and he also has this date that he envisioned that they had so he's talking about asking him out on a second date where they were at the food court at the mall eating together uh, but it sounds like he sat down at a long table that she was also at and is uh, fantasizing as that was their that was their first date. There's a very funny joke later on, one of the few like straight out uh, attempts at jokes this movie makes where she references like, oh, we ate together at the mall. And he's like, you remember? And she's like, well, yeah, you said it in your message. <laughs> like, how would she know me from? Tells her dad that we we ate together at the mall once. And, uh, and, and I like, I like during all of their, their courting in this that she'll recognize at various points that he's like kind of a weirdo or like, I had no idea who you were. Yeah. Um, she'll recognize the reality of the situation. He never gets like butthurt about it. He's just like, Oh yeah, well, I, you're still hanging out with me, so we're good. <laughs> like, he, yeah, very, I mean, he doesn't get he doesn't get actually like hurt by her being like very honest with him. Like, yeah, yeah, I didn't really have a lot of interest in dating you. I just thought it would be fun for a night to get out of the house or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he does handle all that well. Even I mean, I really like the one of the ending lines, which which is related to this. So I'll just mention it now where. She wants to take him back after their breakup, and he goes, do you just want to be with someone, or do you want to be with me? And there's a very long pause, waiting for her to answer, and then he, like, and the camera freezes on Lloyd's face, and he goes, you know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he recognizes it, and then she says, I want to be with you, and, like, it's a great little moment, but there is a recognition of, like, he is so far in love with this girl for whatever reason that, like, that answer may matter later. It doesn't matter in the moment because what he wants is to get back together in the same way that, like, he is pretty clear from the moment that we see him on screen that he wants to go out with Diane Court. We go to their graduation ceremony. We meet Diane and her dad, uh, played by uh, uh, the great John Mahoney, uh, Frazier's dad. He he mostly plays dads is what I'm In getting. Seattle. In Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he didn't want, he didn't like to, he didn't like to get out of that chair, if you remember. Yeah. Wasn't a fan. He just wanted to sit in the chair, steal from the nursing home that he runs, and hang out with his beer and his dog, Eddie. That was all he cared about in every, if you combine all the Seattle dad-based John Mahoney Mm -hmm. properties, I think. Yeah. And he used a uh, jukebox to fence $9,000 a month. Yeah. And some cart and some rugs. Um, <laughs> so, he, yeah, he has bought her a new car, even though it's, oh, that comes later. But uh, they're they're on their way to graduation. She's practicing her speech on him. And the speech is very charming, but, like, 
it is it is a good moment of like representing her disconnect from the rest of her class and literally writing jokes that her dad finds funny. So he she says like I've glimpsed the future and I have a message. Go back. And he laughs hysterically. But obviously that's a when we get to the rest of her graduating class. What's the song the other the the other valedictorian is singing? Joe is singing I don't know some sort of rock song. It's fucking horrible to listen. No, to. it's not a rock song. It is like some really like. Oh, he's singing uh, oh the greatest love of all the greatest love of all that's what he's singing but like he's like ah, ah, and everyone's like laughing and cheering and everything else and then she gets up there and gives a speech that most people besides lloyd and her dad which is a great contrast from the get-go of this movie are really the only two people that are really interested in that um he tries to get a picture with Diane in this very funny moment of him. Here, get a picture. I'm going to run past Freeze and you take a picture with us together. Um, and she gets a car from her dad. Uh, again, uh, he sort of keeps giving her lavish presents. This is a stick shift. Uh, and then, you know, the kind of other thing that comes with that is she doesn't know how to drive a stick shift. So he's like, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to spend all this time teaching you. And uh, that's really going to really uh, – be two parts that's important about her relationship with her dad, that he buys her presents all the time. And he uses kind of all these manipulative tactics to get her to spend time with him, but also make it something that, that she wants to do. And like, again, like there's obviously, especially as, you know, parent kids go through adolescence, kids want to spend less time with their parents naturally. And like, Parents still, many times, in most cases, I hopefully want to have figure out how they can, you know, still make time uh, in their kid's life. A good way to make sure that you don't do that is by constantly trying to lie and manipulate them. But uh, John Mahoney takes a different different route um, than he did on, say, Frazier, which I think he was fine with Frazier living his own life. Uh, he wanted him out of there. <laughs> Let's do a point by point comparison of char- uh, characteristics between. John Mahoney dad characters. Anyways, um, Peter has more hair. Uh, true. Yeah, he's got a good set of hair in this one. Similar fashion sensibility, though. I think um, it, more suits. In, say, less flannel. Anything, wears more more ties. More more ties. Less flannel. He wears a lot of flannel. But in fairness, uh, one's retired. One's actively working. Well, and also the grunge phase hadn't come to Seattle, and by when this movie came out, really. But by the time Frasier premieres in 1994, grunge was everywhere in Seattle. And you know who was the biggest grunge head around? Frasier's dad. Uh, yeah, he's always talking about Mud Honey on that show. He loved Mud Honey. And or and Nirvana's Bleach specifically, because he was Yeah, he was more of a bleach head. He's definitely a bleach head. Yeah. He didn't like Butch Vig's too clean production on Nevermind. Yeah. He um, does refer he does refer to him as Kurt for one first name. <laughs> Kirk. Kirk Kurt. Cobain. <laughs> yeah. he, and he's still an older guy. So he calls yeah. him Kirk Cobain and Frazier never corrects him. <laughs> he ends up uh so you meet you meet his sister, who's so his parents are in the military and they're in Germany right now, I believe. I'm having a so I watched Scream Five, which also has absentee parents that are never yeah. on screen, even after her daughter gets stabbed. Um and I'm having the hardest time remembering if one was in Germany and one was in Korea or something. Maybe they were all in Germany. I'm pretty sure they're in Germany. And uh, There's a lot her, of absentee parents that go to Germany. Yeah. They're like, his, oh, we're going to Oktoberfest. <laughs> we'll be back by Frölingsfest. <laughs> his, uh, but he's basically being raised by his sister, uh, his older sister, played by his real life sister, Joan Cusack, 
who has a child with a, I think, husband that left her recently. Tim. Um, oh, sorry. T-I-M. What? T-I-M. T-I-M. Tim. Uh, and abandoned uh, her son as well. So he's he's an uncle, but she's obviously, she's a single mom. She's a little bit overworked. She uh, has a good relationship with him. They have an, an early interaction where he's pl- turned the music too, uh, uh, too loud and uh, there's a great little exchange that I love because it's it's such a uh, great example of like a parental figure versus like a kid figure, even if they're, they're only a few years of difference of age. And and he's she's like, you turn the music past the red line that I marked. And he's like, how do you know where to mark the red line? <laughs> like what what an arbitrary uh, you know decision. And she's like, because it, it won't annoy the neighbors and it's loud enough. And he's like. Can't you just, like, decide to be in a good mood? Like, just decide, I'm going to be in a good mood um, and be in one, which I do think, like, that was a line that stayed with me for a long time. And I think at the time I thought it spoke to sort of uh, an attitude that was easier for some people. to have. Like, why can't you just decide to be in a good mood? And, like, it's almost like a, a affirmation. Instead, I actually think it speaks to... Lloyd's general innocence around like adulthood and him not thinking bigger picture because obviously later on in the movie when he is broken up over Diane no one could have said to him can't you just decide to be in a good mood and be in a good mood and so like I think it I think it really and he he would have recognized that as like unhelpful in a moment where obviously she is struggling from Tim leaving and um carrying the weight of uh, taking care of a high school student, a child, paying the bills in the house, working everything else, and I again, I, I think it speaks to Lloyd's uh, naivete that he thinks that you can just decide to feel better when you're feeling miserable. Yeah, yeah, and, and their relationship I think here is like really sweet and unique, and it's like sort of one of those things that like uh, you don't get to see very often in movies, which is when there's absentee parents. Um, so I think uh, his dad's in the military and there's absentee yeah. parents. I think both um, of them are actually in the military. I think he mentions that both of his got parents. it. Uh, siblings end up picking up the slack. Um, but like it's usually not this literal, right? Like his adult yeah. sister need like literally has him move in to the house and like basically be like a surrogate father figure for the kid. Um, kind of. I I do think they they do a good job of of. Her not trying to have him replace. Yes, but like, be, she just like, wants I want him you to play with the kid. I want you to be an uncle. And he's like, well, aren't uncles supposed to have fun? Mm-hmm. Like while she while he's she's trying to get him to be responsible. And so, like, I do think that's well balanced. And of course, it helps that like Joan and John Cusack are siblings and have a lot of really good sibling energy, which we also talked about. Like they play off each other so well in Gross Point Plank. Two here, they're literal siblings, literally great, versions of themselves. There's a great moment where he's like being kind of a twerp. She clearly had a long day at work, and he's just sort of been farting around. He's like used to be fun and crazy and wild yeah. and like all all of that. And then she finally, at some point, something clicks with her, and she's like kind of having fun with it. Yeah. She's like, she's like, I used to be so funny. Like yeah. she, something clicks with her where like the exhaustion of being a working mother with a very young kid that needs to be dropped off at daycare and needs to be taken yeah. care of, needs to have every meal prepped, like that kind of work. Um, even with the help of of you know Uncle Lloyd, um, like that sort of um, reality, I think speaks throughout the entire movie. It makes you realize yeah. you're watching an actual movie, like they're. My, I watched this with my wife, and 
she was like, this is a weird movie. Because yeah. when you get to the third act, like, the movie is as much about IRS tax fraud and yeah. embezzlement than it is about um, their relationship. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not that the movie just, like, uh, uh, we don't know how to slow this relationship down. Like, the movie is moving at a very fast clip. It purposefully devotes time to having, like, her journey to breaking apart from her father and finding her own her own life be as important as her journey to, to towards Lloyd. Um, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, that, I mean, that is something that Roger Ebert called out explicitly. Like, this is a movie grounded in reality. Like, these people have real lives that are going on that exist outside of their relationship, right? Whether it's friends with relationship problems, graduation, parental, sibling relationships... This movie is grounded in, like, the, our characters' actual lives, and that's why it does feel very real. Yeah. So anyways... I think while we're parked here, though, yeah. I kind of want to I kind of want to talk a little bit about the circumstances I watched the movie in. Yeah. Because um, I think it kind of affects the way I viewed this movie when it first came out and how I can kind of watch the movie from two perspectives at once. I watched this movie not senior year or after I graduated or whatever. I watched it junior year when I was dating a um, a girl who I also like idolized, like or I turned like into this like this angelic figure. And we lived in two different worlds. She was super academic and hadn't dated much. I hadn't dated a ton, but I had dated more than her. Um, and super epidemic, super smart, like. Um, really like just one of those kids that like went to like, what went to like shoot for salutatorian yeah. and valedictorian, that kind of thing. She didn't end up there, but like, she's just, well, she met you. smart. I uh, sorry, what? Yeah. Well, I she met you. I wrote her. We actually didn't date that long. So this is not See, like a yeah, particularly. She, she, Diane waited till she was a valedictorian before <laughs> we could bring her down and you got there a little earlier. We dated like six months. Um, but we, but like we had this very like. We were of two different worlds and she had very protective parents and she was like very academically focused. And I was more like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And like the end of junior year, when you're like in a particular, like I went to like a college prep high school, when you're in that kind of world, kids are applying for college the summer of junior year. Yeah. So like we were having these conversations about like what we want to do with our future. And I was having literally the thing where I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I know how much college is going to cost. Maybe I sign up for the military and go away for a few years and then come back and then, you know, the military would pay for my college and I can go, you know, maybe by then I'd know more about myself. And yeah. she thought it was a very dumb idea when she was very smart. I would not yeah. have done well in that environment. Just joining the military for a free college is not a very um, good no. reason to do join Or any reason, really. <laughs> but, um, join, but like, I, 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 I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but um you know maybe i'll do this and that'll be you know my path and then like you know like i, I was just very like anti-authoritarian too like i was very much like lloyd i kind of had my own like things that i was doing on the side very much like lloyd you want like to sell or process or buy anything <laughs> sort of like lloyd i had a lot of like i had a lot of friends like throughout various groups but like i i was kind of listless as i think you should be when you're in high school it's kind of crazy we expect kids to know what they want to do with their lives when they're um 17 um, there's there's that great tweet that's like, when I was 17 years old and a senior in high school, I really wanted to get a 
Limp Biscuit tattoo, and my mom wouldn't let me, and I punched the wall so hard I broke my fingers in two places. And then a month later, I was able, I was allowed to take out a hundred twenty thousand dollar loan to go to art school. <laughs> it's it's insane. See, I, yeah. I at least had the wherewithal to be like, I don't know if I want to commit to. I ended up doing what everyone else does, which is you know, you go, I went to school and whatever, took out the student mass loan. communications. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, but I, you know, just like Lloyd, I was like, you know, like, I was like, well, the military is, I guess, a path out of here, whatever. I just had, I had, um, I, I had a, like, fairly listless, like, attitude towards life. But I was like, I know I want to be with her. And like, yeah. she asked what I want to do with life. And I was like, I, I want to be with you. Yeah. And we were having these conversations about life. And she would get very disappointed when I would talk about how, like, all I wanted. I was like, I just want to be happy. I just want to. Yeah. I had just made some breakthroughs in my like depression in my life that I was like, I want to, I, I want to pursue, pursue these things. And this movie landed in both the perfect time and the worst time because we watched it and we watched it stone cold silent. And I was in love with it. And both of us were crying for very different reasons at the end of the movie. Um, and what's funny, she gave you like, a pen. She gave me a pen. Yes. After um, watching this, I think you should have this pen. <laughs> we should break up. Um, but we uh we were just headed in very different directions and she made the she made the call at some point to just be like that this is not this is this is not this is just a distraction from what i i need to be doing yeah and frankly i agree with her but um but uh it wasn't like the night after we watched the movie but clearly like we had taken very different things with the movie and she was like very and like the way the way she speaks very much reminded me of Ioni Sky. Like she was a very, very nice person. I hold no ill will towards her. Um, but I remember watching this with her and having like a distinct, like a very emotional reaction and feeling like I was fucking Lloyd Dobler in a way that was very uncomfortable, but also comfortable. Like, yeah, it was uncomfortable because I was like, uh oh, I'm headed towards disaster. But comfortable because I was like, other people feel like me. I'm yeah. not yeah. the only, and I was surrounded by fucking people who thought that they, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to pre-med program and then blah, blah, I'm doing, I'm doing business for undergrad and then I'm going to go to law school because they say don't do pre-law for undergrad. Like I was surrounded by people who I were lying to themselves. A lot of them didn't do those careers, but people who like were certain of themselves and I couldn't call them a liar. Yeah, I I felt the I felt that connection as well. Like I don't want to sell things, I don't want to process things. Like that speech that he ends up giving, uh, that's a very funny speech. But it, that's how I felt. I think sometimes that's still how I feel, even though I do sell and process things I, probably. But like you know, there is that thing of like work as this weird monolith. And yeah, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or something like that, I think there's like a clear path you go down. But you're when you're like. Well, like, so the thing I wanted to do was I wanted to write movies. I was one of those people. And, like, but I also knew that, like, well, that's not, like, even if I had enough wherewithal to be, like, I can take those classes, but I need, like, a major and I'm going to need a way to earn money outside of that. Because I knew that was going to be a very challenging career. So, like, I went to, I really was someone who went to school to be, like, I'm going to take mass communication so I can get, like, a job that pays me money at some job place so that I can focus on what I'm passionate about, which I know is unlikely to make me any money for a long time or ever. And so, like, I took a bunch of, like, college classes that were film-related and all these other, you know, writing and stuff like that in between all of the requisites I had to do for mass communications because, like, 
yeah, I was like, I don't like who knows what I want to do with this stuff. And even the stuff I ended up doing was kind of like, oh, I was good here and I got promoted and like this stuff happened. But like I didn't go to school for what I'm doing today for a career. But I, 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 I got that feeling of like I my the thing that I'm passionate about in the same way that, you know, Lloyd's passion is kickboxing. Um, I don't know if there's a future there. But yeah, I mean, I, I get that. And I, I totally understood that feeling that Lloyd Dobler went to. And while it didn't happen with this movie specifically, I do know the feeling of watching a movie that is very much about your relationship in that moment. And like with someone that you're in that relationship with. And sometimes it can be like, oh, no, fuck. Um, <laughs> if you've ever watched a movie about two, like a couple arguing when you like were getting over or about to have a fight with your significant other and it's like the topics are the same that you're it's like oh fuck like this this was the bad time to watch this movie um but that's that's yeah i've i've had it happen a few times say anything is the only one that i think is like actually an interesting story yeah like i've had times where like i i i watched like 500 days of summer with like the girl that was the summer thing where it was just like I was obsessed with her, and then we dated, and then I knew things were crumbling immediately, yeah. but I was like, I'm holding this together. Like, I watched it with her, and then everything just kind of crumbled as it was supposed to. Yeah. Um, and it's not that wasn't that interesting. Like, I feel like Say Anything, like, hit me at such a specific... Well, yeah, it's and it sounds very specific in a In a very, weird way. In a, in a weird, weird way. way. Yeah. In a way that um, probably also, like, you know, my brain is filling in gaps and making this ex-girlfriend seem more like... Um, Ioni Sky than she actually was like. Well, I'm sure there's a little bit too where you're like, no, 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 you took the wrong message. They find a way to keep it working. Like it's okay that that's all he wants. Why have you taken a different message that I've taken from this movie? Uh, but anyways, so yeah, he uh, he decides he's gonna call her. Uh, he leaves a, a message with her dad, a very long and rambling. There's a there's a joke that Corey says that like he doesn't do good in, under high pressure situation. He rambles. There's a lot of very funny moments of him like not knowing what to say, but just kind of keep talking. One of those is the one I already referenced, where someone asks him what he wants to do with his life at uh, dinner uh, with with Diane's father and some of uh, some of uh, his fa- her father's friends, and he starts talking about like. He doesn't know what he wants to do, but he's like, I don't want to be anyone that processes or sells or sells anything that's been processed or like all these different checklists. But he has a tendency to ramble. He rambles to him a little bit. And he's like, you know, at this time, you don't really get a sense of him. He's like, okay, writes down the message, tells him, tells her that he called. She calls. She doesn't really know who he is. And she just is like, he's like, do you want to hang out sometime? And she does the, I'm really busy. And he gets more specific, right? Are you busy Saturday? Are you busy Friday? He's like, yeah. What about tonight, though? There's the party. Like, shouldn't you go? And she kind of said, like, she doesn't even really know who this guy is. But she is, like, starting to realize that, you know, when she didn't have any connection to anyone at the graduation and was like, it was just her and her dad while everyone else had friends. She's like, I clearly missed out on something here as I was focused on uh, you know, how much she wanted to be focused on it and how much her dad wanted her to focus on it gets a little bit blurry. But so she's like almost as an anthropological moment. She's like, I'm going to go with this guy to this high school graduation. I do really like I missed kind of like a key factor here, which is that she was like, she is she's basically like dodging, like uh, spending time alone with him. But she's like, well, I guess if I can go to that party, I'm not going to the party with a total stranger. At least it's yeah. someone that like, 
you know, we're going to the, we're going to the party together. It's not a date. Like it's not super intimate, whatever. And like, I, I, I missed, I missed kind of that part, but it's very funny. Cause like him continually asking like, uh, what about Friday? What about Saturday? What about Monday? Well, what about tonight? Like that kind of thing yeah. would be creepy if the movie wasn't setting up that like Lloyd is like this adorable. Yeah. Adorable guy. And also, like, the the nervous talking thing, like, when he meets, he sits down with her, her father in a little bit. Awkward dinner thing. He wears a tie, whatever. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to sell anything. I don't want to process anything. I don't want to process anything. It's bought or sold. Like, this thing yeah. very much reminded me of my particular nerves. Um, yeah. And it very much reminded me of, like, my ADHD, where, like, I would get several paragraphs down before I would realize <laughs> that I had been asked a fairly simple question. Yeah. Um, Sure, I'm going to go into a ton of detail. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I want to be as honest and as comprehensive as I possibly <laughs> as I possibly can. So uh, they go to yes. the party. They go to the party. Um, there's a few things I really like about this party. One, um, Corey as a character has these has been writing 60, 62 songs, Joe. She's written 62 songs, and they're all about pain. She's been – she's playing these new songs that she's written for the fact that this guy – uh, Joe, who sang the song at the graduation, um, sh- he had been dating someone else she didn't know, and she kind of fell for him. They had sex, and he is constantly saying he's going to break up with his girlfriend to be with Corey. And she is like, you know, he's going to be at this party, normal kind of like if you've ever broken up and then ended up in a social function where an ex is there and you were like, oh, I probably never – I would like to never see this person again for whatever reason – and then you're uh, you're in that social situation. It can be awkward. I like that they resolve that really quickly with a scene in this party where Joe does the same thing. She's been writing these songs. You've heard her sing all night. And Joe is like, hey, my girlfriend is going to college. I'm going to break up with her before she goes to college. I'm going to break up with her. I'm going to break up with her uh, not because she's going to college. I'm going to do it before and I'm going to be with you. And – she like almost has this like moment of realization that yep every bad thing i thought about him was true he she she he goes in for a kiss and he goes goodbye joe and like i like that they resolved that pretty early in the movie it's almost like that's the end of another romantic a, a high school romantic thing that like they make cory into this really great side character who like stands up for herself and like has has had the moment of weakness and set realizes she's she's being used by Joe and she's above Joe and she has a she has a lot of things that are going for her and and he is interested in that while still using her. Um, I think it's a really smart choice. I think a lesser movie would have kept that going and made it a, a bigger part of the plot in a way that really hurt Corey's character. Like she doesn't have or the... or like had Lloyd have to leave a family dinner to go save Corey because she yeah was bad bad melodrama again. yeah because yeah. she. She did almost die by suicide in, as part of the, the Yes, thing. as part of this breakup, yeah. And, like, they could have hung that over our head, and instead the movie's like, we're not, that's not the game we're playing. This is, like, a game of, this is a movie about growth. This is about... Yeah. she's a real person. She's not a character in a movie. We're catching her at the end of a weak spot right before she comes to her point of realization that she is better to not be with this person. Yeah. Which, and so which this great. party is this party's pretty this party's pretty wild. It's the sort of thing where it's very funny. Like the guy announces at the graduation that there's gonna be eight kegs at some specific dude's house, and that yet no cops show up. 
Um, uh, well, like, Lilith from Cheers, B.B. Newworth, shows up oh in her first God. movie role as the teacher, as a counselor. Sorry. The, it is arguably as, oh, not as, it's it's arguably in the same realm of unprofessional as the teacher dating Beth and Better Off Dad, where you're like, you should not be drinking beer and throwing your keys in with a bunch of high school students. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Also, she's there... dressed, she's dressed like non She's right apart. She's ready to party. She's, she's ready um, to party. She's, it, they, she's, she's I'm glad like there's high, no follow-up from that. It's kind of like, it's a little bit of a like, hey, I'm your counselor. And, and she is a counselor to Lloyd. Like, she's like, I think you should really think about this. You know, you never really got a chance to meet. But, you know, you should be concerned about your future. And anyways, because Lloyd is the key master. He was Eric Stoltz, who's 22 and has this party every year. Chose him to get everyone's keys and make sure everyone... Only people who everyone gets their cards home or gets themselves home safely. And it's the worst job at the party, as he says, uh, because he basically doesn't get to drink and instead gets to everyone who comes get their keys. And so the joke at the end of the somewhat like counselor speech that B.B. Newworth gives to uh, to Lloyd is that then she's like, all right, now where's the keg and throws her keys in there, yeah, very unprofessional. Yeah, and I was not, and I was not uh, slut shaming BB Newworth. I was merely no. saying that maybe um, you shouldn't be at this party in the first place, and you should definitely not be wearing something leggy. No, she, uh, no, that <laughs> is like that is a very like eighties. Uh, 80s... They graduated today. Time to yeah, repeat I, I know. That is something where the society has thankfully changed about how acceptable that would be. Um, and I don't, I, I think it's a tossed off joke in this movie, but it's definitely yeah, it's it's one of those like. Hmm, a little bit too much jokes about teachers and counselors dating their students. Not great yeah. behavior. This entire time at this party, a, f- a couple of very important things happen that I think are really good. One, there's not the stupid teen thing of everyone being a jerk to Diane because she wasn't was like a was a more focused on education than uh, peer groups and stuff like that. People instead are like, oh, I'm so glad you came. Like, I always thought you were so nice. I really, like, I was always impressed. Like, people are real and nice to her. There's like, you know, and so she starts to get a feeling of missing out. And then when people are like, oh, you came with Lloyd, she's starting to hear from other people that Lloyd is so sweet. Oh, Lloyd's such a good guy. And kind of getting a bunch of people's buy-in that like, oh, this guy is okay. And feeling a little bit more, I think, safe and secure. Meanwhile, Lloyd, and what I think is one of those borderline behaviors, if, it, if you don't do it in real life, if it's any other movie, he also knows that she doesn't go to these parties and she's uncomfortable, but she he has a job to do, which is keeping him apart from her. So he's trying to do the job while still making sure that she feels com- comfortable and okay. And Diana notices that she's keeping an eye out on me uh, and, and, and likes that, likes that he cares enough about her to just want her to be okay without constantly going and trying to interrupt conversations. And then they do have a little moment together and they like are laughing and flirting and talking. Eventually, they kind of wrap up the party, but they have to drive one drunk guy home who doesn't know, remember where he lives. And so they end up driving all night. And clearly, there's a little bit of a bond that's formed. They go, they get some gas station breakfast. Uh, in a moment that she brings up later, he points out some glass. She's about to walk in with her shoes and make sure that she misses it. Keep an eye out for her. Goes, takes her home. Asks her on a second date. She is eventually says, yeah, we'll call, we'll call me later. To, uh, tomorrow he goes well tomorrow is today and she goes call me later today he's then like celebrate in a very funny moment he's celebrating in the street that uh, he got a, a third date or a second date 
uh, his her dad asked her how the party was. And at this point, you also really think, like, the dad is like, okay, you know, she stayed out all night. It was her first party. It may not be – he wasn't worried. He was there. He was like, how'd it go? Great. And she's like, man, I called him basic, which is a slang word that has persisted all these years. Um, and he – and, you know, John, John Mahoney's very funny. He's like – he didn't seem to mind and then shows with a big smile on his face that he's dancing in the street. And like, you feel like this is a good father daughter relationship at this point. And this he doesn't is yell at her beginning. for coming home late this time. Well, that that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why <laughs> I, having not seen this movie in a while, I was like, Oh, is he a good guy that did something stupid? And I'm like, eh. like, again, not to be as simplistic as bad guy or good guy, but he's not a great dad. <laughs> he's not a good dad who did something shitty. He's a, he's he is a dad who loves his daughter and has also not been a great dad or a great taxpayer. But we'll get to that. Uh, so, yeah, so they they start hanging out more. But she's kind of like, hey, I am really busy. I have got I got the scholarship that I am going to go to England. So I really need to focus on that. But I do like hanging out with you. So let's be let's be friends and let's hang out like that. So they have like kind of a dinner date where we talked about the he goes over and everyone's like oh he's not good in these situations but he's still charming and somewhat funny and like you know diane clearly like is like i like having this guy around i like spending time with them during this dinner irs agents show up at the door and start being very aggressive and this is joe biden's america about all, all these different things that he's purchased in his house and asking to see receipts he's like come to my office this is clearly a huge misunderstanding this is going to be as you know a very big part of the third act of this movie um so we start seeing some montages of lloyd and diane hanging out and they're walking kind of far away from each other then closer then kissing a little bit in the park then very passionately kissing in the park and then we get to them in the back of a car while peter gabriel's in your eyes playing like coming out from a a blanket and this very sweet moment where where like they clearly have just had sex and Lloyd is shaking and she goes, are you cold? Are you nervous? Or about to have sex. Either had sex and he goes, no, I'm just, I'm just happy. And they listen to the song and she goes home. Oh, one thing I'll just pause and say. So she tells this story uh, on their first night together, but her dad and her mom got divorced about five years ago and they literally took her to a court and said, uh, you have to pick. Do you want to live with your mom and your dad or your dad? And he, she chose her dad. She's like, it's kind of a crazy situation that I had to choose on the, you know, heel. She has a relationship with her mom. We see them have dinner. And when he's under, when her dad's under investigation kind of says like, can you be nice to my dad? When you talk to the investigators, her mom clearly has a new husband or boyfriend that she isn't the biggest fan of Uh, very small scene, but between body language and tone, um, it, it, and could, I don't know if it's that she doesn't like him or if it or that, you know, she doesn't like her mom dating or whatever. I, to me, I read that as she's so her mom is so interested in pressing this new guy or newish guy that she completely yeah. deletes the important conversation they were having. Yeah, she just completely like pushes that conversation aside because she does. She doesn't want to like be frowning when her new her new beau comes up to the table. She's like, shut up, shut up. My boyfriend's coming. Yeah, yeah. Her dad runs a nursing home um, and she works there and helps out sometimes. And, you know, we learn throughout this that he 
he is constantly telling her that, you know, she is the most special person. She's destined for great things. And, you know, you know, and she you start seeing that he really is framing these things in a more and more manip- manipulative way where it's like, this is what we want. This is what we've been working for. Those kind of things of like her future, her life, inserting himself into it as if he is. Uh, he is part of that, like in the same way that like that she is, um, which is a shitty thing to do. You shouldn't do that to your kids or anyone else. Like, this is what we've been working for. Like, well, this is what she's been working for. And, may you know, hopefully you've supported that in a positive way. But like it starts to get more and more. It's going to get really explicit by the end of the movie. But at first, well, uh, so she comes home after having sex and, and she this is the the conversation where he, she does tell her dad about it. Right. And he, she at first is saying at, at, about how she didn't really want to do it. She was thinking this isn't the right thing for me. And I was about to go tell him that. And he's like, good, good. Like nodding his head. Like, yep, this is my daughter who I've raised and she's going to do the right thing that I would have done or I would have wanted her to do. And then he's like, but then what, before I told him I attacked him and, and we had sex and this is where they have the conversation where the movie Seto come from. That, like, you can say anything to me. You, We're always honest with each other. We always tell the truth. That is part of our relationship. And, like, we don't judge each other. We don't get mad at each other for those things. So he is still, at this point, keeping up that facade um, a little bit. But he, I forget, is this where he's initially angry when she comes back? Or does that happen later? It is after she loses her virginity okay. a little bit. Um, no, that's that's the late. scene I'm talking about right now. Oh, okay, yes, yes, yes. I because he starts out yelling at her for coming home, and do I have to call the police? And then that's when she says, like, the tone has changed very dramatically already. Yeah, and uh, the scene is really interesting because he he goes into overprotective father mode. I think mostly because he wants to keep her away from Lloyd. He's he's, yeah. he's trying to keep she's trying to keep, break this relationship up, but in a way that like gives him plausible deniability. He yeah. doesn't say you can't see that boy. He does this very manipulative thing where he keeps finding ways to undermine their relationship. And he eventually and say it's not better. what we worked for and all the other things. that. I and know. he knows that her being out late and all of that probably probably means they're sleeping together. Sure. Like, you know, one night is, is, is being at a party late and her getting some high school experience and her having some fun. Multiple nights out late with Lloyd, like probably means like they're they're, you know. Yeah. Um. I don't get the sense. It, so there's a moment when he says the titular line. I, yeah. I forgot that John Mahoney says the titular line in this movie. Yeah. And then uh, Ione Sky gets to say it back to him later. <clears throat> yeah. When he says, like, you know, you can say anything to me, right? Yeah. Um, and she sits down and has a very uh, mature, as mature as she can be for it. Yeah. Very mature sort of rundown of like her thought process on why she yeah. decided that, that it would be okay for them to start sleeping together. Yeah. And, um, he is clearly, like, uncomfortable about this and, like, in a way that, like... Yeah, but like I said, he's trying to still be, like, keep up the facade of, like, okay, this is what I asked for and I don't want to seem like I'm having some retribution for it. This is something that I I had an interesting conversation with Molly about, which is that they've probably had this you-can-tell-me-anything, sweetie, conversation before. And then her answer has always been innocent and wholesome or yeah the answer has always been i almost cheated on a test because i was under so much pressure but i didn't cheat on the test like yeah 
And he's finally dealing with, like, the complications of her escaping being out from underneath his thumb. And he's trying to not, he's trying to not destroy her. That's why he's a complicated, interesting character. He's trying not to destroy her or exert too much control, but he is, like, reaping what he sowed, right? Like, he... Well, and he's he, almost like he said, saying, we have like, an honest you, can see, you can see him kind of go like, okay, now this is something I need to deal with. Because almost the next day or the next scene, he's showering her with like praise of like how she's going to be great, how she can do anything, how she's going to do this. And, and he kind of puts up the suggestion of like, hey, isn't it probably time you're going to England soon? Isn't it time to kind of... Um, kind of cut ties with Lloyd. Like, I, you know, I know you like, cause she's talking about how she likes him a lot and she's having fun. And he uses that as kind of a, you're having fun. It's so great. I'm so happy you're having fun, but you're about to, you know, we've worked really hard on this scholarship and going to England, and everything. And, you know, you're just, you're just going to leave him in the dust again. Like really, you know, going to her ego to try to manipulate her. Like you're the best. You're amazing. You're above him all these other things, it's time to kind of cut ties. And, and she's like, you know, she's like, well, I don't just like him. I love him. And like, she, he's not looking at her when she says this, but her, his face is like, you can tell he's like, you know, stealing himself for what he's going to say next. Like, okay. Yeah. So you love him. Uh, give him this pen to let him know, you know, how much you mean to him. So you can break it off easy. And like, you know, go about your life and stuff like this. And um, he, um, so she's kind of like, no, I'm not going to do that. But you can also like see she goes in, on a drive with him where she does break up with him. Like she tells her dad, I'm not going to do that. But you can tell what a measure of influence he she holds over. He holds over her life like he she was able to tell him kind of, no, I'm not going to do that. But also as she was dealing with like what it would be like to go back to that house and be like, I'm still with Lloyd and recognize that's going to be a constant challenge and be very disappointing to her dad. And this person who at this point she has a lot of respect to, she almost talks herself into exactly what her dad told her to say, right? Literally down to giving him the pen. Oh, she, the pen she thing says, is this so is heartbroken. Yeah. She's just she's, like, dad knows best. This is the way you do things. It's like she wasn't planning on it's like she wasn't planning on giving him the pen, but it was or so even breaking up with him. But when he was like, I'm in love because he says, I gave you the letter. He's like, I, I'm in love with you. And that's when she all of a sudden starts regurgitating what her dad said, even though he had she had told her dad she wasn't planning on doing anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's 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 a very heartbreaking scene because it's essentially like her dad's like control over her has been fully, fully hammered out. And it's like you don't know. You don't know exactly what she wants, right? Because, like, yeah. she doesn't know what she wants. So it's, like, a very... When she get... said she was in love with him, she said she was having fun. She said, hey, we've talked about going to England and what might happen. Like, we've done all that. Like, I don't, you know, I don't really need your commentary on it as well because him and I have talked about it. But then, yeah, she goes into the conversation and she just literally to the, literally becomes her dad's talking points and including giving him a pen saying, please write me every day with this. Uh, yeah. And then we see him drive around. It's funny. This is another rainy, <laughs> pouring rain, uh, pouring rain phone booth, which happens in high fidelity. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. a couple times as well, that guy, John Cusack loves talking. So soaking wet in a phone booth. 
I think that's his move. Off, if Brad Pitt likes eating phones, food, yeah. John Cusack likes a rainy phone booth. I think that the way that um, cell phones took off and the death of phone booths <laughs> happened, um, we it it, it um, had a uh, inverse effect on uh, John, Cusack's John Cusack's career. I mean, that's a great theory. Two thousands about probably the last time you could say this guy needs a phone can have a phone booth. Yeah, I was at I was at the airport recently, and there was a free phone, uh, yeah. like a free phone sitting there, and I, I I just stood at it, staring at it for thirty seconds, trying to come up with the the the, the time that I would need that phone. I was like, they de- there's definitely an opportunity in my life I would need that phone, right? Like, well, not only do you, would you need to I couldn't need it, it, you would need to be walking past it at the time when you're like, fuck, I need to make a phone call right now. Oh my god, just just happens to be a phone right here. Yeah. This is serendipity starring john cusack because you can buy you can buy phone chargers all throughout the airport you can borrow one from somebody like if they have, you have a vending a, machine you probably loaded your boarding pass up on your phone like yeah. you have it um so he then he makes that call to his sister and is like i to, i i gave her my heart and she gave me a pen uh which is a very famous line from this movie um and that's when he starts kind of going into his spiral he talks to Corey, you know, he's just, he's depressed. He's listening to music. He goes to her house and plays Peter Gabriel, the song that they lost their virginity to. He's getting more involved in kickboxing and things like that. He's leaving her messages on her answering machine. And again, the very funny jump cut with, that's it. I'm done calling her. Done calling her to her, you know, her voicemail that's like, this is my eighth and final message. You know, like he's, he's broken up. We talked a lot about that at the beginning. He's, it's where he decides that, Maybe the problem and why I'm so hurt is that, you know, I, I'm surrounded by women. I need to go hang out with men. Realizes that they don't have the answer and they just hate women. And that's where he has that conversation with Corey that's also very famous from this movie, too. Like, don't go try to be a guy. You're not a guy. You're not going to act like all these these guys when they get broken up with a girl. You're a man. Go be a man and handle it in a way that doesn't destroy who you are as a person. And he's like, yes, that's true. So we almost like cut from him for the most of the movie. The only time it really connects with Diane is when we're seeing the message. But now Diane is really getting caught up in like what is going on with his dad. There's more investigators. There's more other things going on. She's heartbroken by the breakup with Lloyd too. And finally, you know, she goes to Bookman, uh, Detective Bookman from Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, just tell Stop him investigating my goddamn dad. Yeah. Stop what is it. going on? And he's like, your dad is so guilty. Like, <laughs> he, he has been fleecing all of these people in the nursing home for tons of money. She's like, you're lying to me. Like, and he's like, think about it. Does he give gifts? Does he like have cash all the time? Like, do you have things that are like worth like $9,000 laying around the house? Like, carpets and jukeboxes and all these other things like he's been taking their money and stuff like that and finally he she he goes he goes we have all the proof we need we're not trying to get you to squeal on him but if i were you is there a place in the house that you never go go check it out i bet you'll find money and she goes and digs around the house and lo and behold finds an old like jewelry case that she lock picks and it is full of hundred dollars yeah they're so confident in their case that they didn't go into his house and seize all of his assets yeah and they they're taking of... this fucking box and open it and been like well and john mahoney is so confident in his case he didn't hide, he didn't hide the box 
thousands of dollars? Tens I mean, of thousands those, those of dollars? Ten, ten, hundreds of thousands. Those are big wads of $100 bills in, in a very large jewelry box. And they, they're telling they're telling Diane as almost a favor, right? Like, they're like, hey, like, you don't want to be tied to this. He clearly is willing to have you lie on his behalf. You're 18 years old with a huge future ahead of you. Like, like go figure it out and get away from this because he is going down big time. Uh, although big time only ends up being nine, uh, nine months and $125,000 fine because white collar criminals don't get prosecuted really but so she confronts him and says tell me the truth like what is going on here have you been stealing money from these people that you claim to care for and he's like no of course not i would never do that they're after me they have no case i'm a good person doing good things and that's when she throws the line back in his face we've always said that we're honest with each other that's what our whole relationship is built on that we can say anything to each other like tell me the truth and he lies again, says, absolutely not. I would never do this. And then she goes, I found the money. I found the money that you're hiding. And this is such an amazing scene played very well because, like, John Mahoney does what – it kind of, he kind of goes mask off for how much of a kind of manipulative creep he is in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been seeing that all the way around, but you can make some case that, like – not a good case that like he just hits his only daughter, his wife left him. He's just he just really is investing way too much into trying to control her life. And that's bad and all the other things. But like it's good intentions. And this is where like really it does become like this is about me and the way that he says like it, it's like confronting someone with like narcissistic personality disorder. He first tries to make her feel guilty. He tries to tie it back to her like you know why I was doing all this stuff for you, for your college. So you can have a life. He like implicates his motives, like, and tries to put the guilt on her. He then denies that anything he did was actually damaging. I would love to be these people with how well I take care of them. And she's like, you're stealing money from their kids and stuff. Oh, the kids that don't take care of them. I take care. Like he does martyrdom. Like it is a cycling of all of the worst ways that you could react to getting caught in lies, blaming her. And embezzling from the dead. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So, I mean, it, that, it really is like this moment of like, and I kind of forgot how rough this scene was because I was like, oh, shit, he is he's he's terrible. He's not a good, not a good person, not a great dad, because like, again, and the killer one, I think the one that why why I called it mask off is that he's been saying how like you again, you can make the case of like he just wanted what's best for his daughter. He is so quick to put the crime and the guilt and everything that he's done of which he clearly feels no guilt for onto her conscious as something that she made him do so that she could get everything that she wanted that he's been pushing for. Like that is a very fucked up thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It starts off, it starts off a movie that you, you you feel like it's just about a dad struggling to like let go of his daughter, which is a a pretty basic rom-com plot. And then you're like, Oh no, this is like, this is like very deep and fucked up. Like this man needs to face justice in order to be even somewhat humbled. So yeah, yeah um, he, the, this movie moves. So so something about the editing of this movie. This movie is yeah. limber. Yeah, like the, I thought I, it was over two hours. I was sure it was because there's so I knew there was so much plot. Time. It's a it's a hundred minutes. So the movie crosses at least six months of time. 
Yeah. Right? Starts on graduation day. It covers an entire summer. So it's like whatever. So three, three four months. months. Oh, it's only three months because the yeah. da- the dad goes to prison fucking fast. You don't go to well, prison he ple- fast. Well, he pleads guilty. Yeah. I'll... Remember, that's, they show the DA scene of them. Uh, so it's, it's I think she said, I think they say 16 weeks. No, um, no, nine months, 125,000. Oh, yeah, 16 weeks before the summer. Yeah. For the summer, yeah. Before. So um, 16 weeks before she has to leave and he doesn't yep. know what he's going to do after that. Whatever. So um, the movie takes place in 16 weeks. Okay, got, got it. I, I was just in my head, logically, it didn't make sense for him to be, already be in prison. Um, okay, so um, he goes to prison and she is not there. Um, Lloyd is acting as a middleman. He's being very compassionate. <laughs> very funny scene. Just because, again, Lloyd, I mean, again, it kind of speaks to how nice of a guy Lloyd is because Lloyd is trying to, like, console him. <laughs> While he's being nothing but terrible to him. Lloyd like, he's doing... masked off there like, you're taking my daughter. I don't want you. Like, you're terrible. And he's yeah. like, he's really trying to do right by her. I recognize some of what Lloyd is doing at, in various relationships I've had where I'm like, we can draw boundaries with your parents. Like, we can draw, we can yeah. draw you know, we can not do this, we can not do that, but, like, maybe we try and have this, this opening so you're not completely cut off from your parents. Like, I, I've, that's, it's something that I, uh, I've had to do in various relationships. I've fulfilled the, the Lloyd role and then ended up being, like, at the end of the day, like, it's your choice of how much of a relationship yeah. you want to have yeah. with your, your parents, right? The scene was very relatable, again, for me, because I was yeah. just, like, yeah, like, you know, she's working on it. Like, she's trying to, she's trying to... She wrote a few different versions of the letter. She sent the less nice one. Yeah. But um, I love the line where he's like, well, isn't it at least that, like, there's a universe where she wrote a nicer version of the letter give you hope that maybe you can repair the relationship? And he's been nothing but terrible to him, too. Like, directly so holding her back. Boy. He's so shitty. He, what's interesting about him is that he has almost no repentance for his crime. He still sees him being in jail as him losing his daughter. Um, and that he's very mad that she is, like, again, so hurt, hurt enough that he's sending, she's sending Lloyd. Like, He's not really respecting the damage, not just in this moment, but like in the lying and the manipulation that that he's that he's done, which I mean, also reads realistic. Like, I'm not trying to get into I feel like we've had enough, you know, the boomer generation or whatever generation he is, is not. It's why there's that whole like, you know, both from, I think, our lived experiences, Peter, but also like, you know, there's a whole thing of movies of just like. Hey, what if like parents, there's a whole stream of movies of like, hey, what if parents recognize that they had not been so good in some areas and apologize to your kids, like turning red or everything everywhere. There's like a whole subgenre, um, you know, of, of those types of movies lately. And like, this is that like he does not recognize that he's he still 100 percent thinks what he did was right for the right reasons. He had every right to do it. He has learned nothing from this, which, again, feels very yeah, it feels very, very old to experiences in my life. I, uh, then we, I kind of, the one scene I, I don't like that she ends up going and giving him a hug. She I goes in that, and, she goes in and gives him a hug, and it feels like that's almost like her, like, being able to say that she had the, um, it's her being able to say she took the high road. Which yeah. is something that's good to, if you're breaking off a relationship with your, 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 someone you love. Like, it's good to be able to be like, at the end of the day, I was cordial and I did all I could and I left without uh, lowering my dignity. And she, yeah. she, I, I don't particularly think she needs to go in 
But, um, you know, she wanted that last moment to be like, I've given you everything that you deserve plus more. Yeah. Let's, let's leave it at this. Um, yeah. So they're on the plane. Um, they're on the plane okay. together. Lloyd is, is doing all these very cute coping mechanisms to... to get yeah, you find that she's scared of flying. I forget if we knew that ahead of time and I missed it, but she's I scared, a little bit she's scared like, of flying. Did her mom die in a plane crash or something? And it, it's No, it's just a funny story when she was a kid and she just got freaked out by flying. Yeah, so he yeah he has books. He's like trying to help, and he's he's being his normal supportive self. Okay, you got this. Okay, and once this once the cigarette no smoke, <laughs> I thought it was. This tells you how much like my memory. I thought it was once the seatbelt sign goes off. I forgot that it was the no smoking sign. Uh, once the no smoking sign goes off, uh, it, it, he said statistically most crashes happen within the first five minutes. So once that no smoking sign goes off and you hear the beep. You're going to be safe. Statistically, you're going to be fine. And, you know, they're, like, kissing. There's, like, a kind of a cute old lady who's, who's like, oh, they're kissing and stuff like that. And they, you know, it, and again, it's a great little metaphor to end the movie. They, they're they in a rocky patch. What's going to happen with them? Uh, oh, we didn't say that after the whole dad thing, he runs back and, like, is, like, I, I'm sorry. To, while he's at a kickboxing thing. They clearly they end up back together but there is a cute scene where he she says i love you and, and there's genuine intention about whether or not he'll get back with her right yeah yeah um so yeah they're on the plane and uh finally it takes a long time i like they let that scene play out for a while but yeah the beep and the cut to black happen at the exact same time they so um, easily could have done the john hughes version of this would have been they're on the plane together they look at each other they smile she's a little nervous he clenches her hand instead it's this full conversation you get to see how much lloyd like takes care of her like yeah. lloyd is lloyd like tries to nurture her and he sees when she's weak and tries to be str- strong for her and like Lloyd's not like, oh, if you're scared of flying, don't fly. He's like, no, you, we're going. This is the journey. Like, you can't not. Lloyd never tries to convince her to stay, which is, I think, like, yeah. a pretty amazing thing, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, that's what we said. We, he he wants whatever she wants, like, which is so atypical from these movies. Although not for Peter's. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Just taking us to final thoughts here. The parent thing we talked about a little bit, but it's 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 an interesting movie because as I've gotten older and I've gotten further away from those sort of relationships because I've been married a long time now, or sorry, I've been married a decent proportion of my life. I wouldn't say a long time. No, but I've been, I've been married a good portion of my life now. Or I've been with my wife a good portion of my life. Um, I'm very happy, but I get to see these things from different perspectives. And now, like, you know, you it's weird to be able to watch it now, like, with on the cusp of parenthood, um, being able to see, like, the story of, like, it's as much a story of a father who doesn't realize that he needs to let his child, like, be themselves, make yeah. mistakes, encourage them to experiment and push themselves forward, to not be selfish with his children, to not cast their own sins on their children. Like all of that stuff when I was, a, when I was a kid, it was easy to just be like, John Mahoney's a fucking asshole. Fuck this guy. Yeah. Like, it's so Dan easy suck. Just... Yeah. That guy sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, D- I... yeah. Dance boo dads. Yeah. When you're, when my you're dad does all the, yeah. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you, you think, you think it's almost like such an obvious thing, right? Cause you're like, of course you choose the person you like over your dad. Your dad doesn't know shit. No dad does. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I, yeah, it was very easy for me to accept that uh, this dad was a scammy, 
scammy shitter um, and didn't know anything. I personally, now that I'm like closer, not closer to John Mahoney's age, but you know, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, I'm starting he was 30 to look... in this movie. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he had a he had a child at twelve. <laughs> it's gonna be like forty, and I'm gonna be like, oh god. Yeah, he's probably he's probably early forties, right? Um, but he's got the he's got the hairline of of I think a fifty. Forty nine, forty nine, fifty, fifty. I was on the money. Yeah, the second time. So I'll be um, his age when my daughter graduates high school because my daughter's eight. Oh my god, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. I'm on the John oh. Mahoney timeline. I, I mean, I, I've been embezzling from no people. I've done yeah. no elder abuse. You so rebezzle. Actually, you put a little bit of money in, so people are like, "I've been rebezzling." Well, yeah, so so people are like, "There's no way he would steal. He gave money to his company." <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I, I'll learn the lesson of this movie, though. Like, I will, of course, still steal from the elderly. Well, yeah, of course, you got us. I mean. He was right on the money with that whole the they they don't their families don't deserve it because he gave them food and shelter that they paid for like obviously the right but when my daughter asks about it I'm gonna tell the truth on the first time that's yeah. where it gets you it's the lying you just gotta be like honey yep that's where you got all your money and if you Snap don't want this her. gravy train to end I would keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> And say um, anything to me, but if you talk to the cops, <laughs> we got nothing. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> say anything you want to our family lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the lesson. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't know. I, it's, it's a movie that I, I think weirdly enough is going to be my favorite of the month, which was unexpected. I was expecting this to be very cloying, um, and the movie very much zags away from some of the. Like John, I, I love John Hughes schmaltz. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, it zags away from the John Hughes schmaltz that would, um, I think, cheapen it and make it less relatable. Because now that I'm like, I'm like a little bit older and I'm seeing it from this new perspective. Um, I'm, uh, and you know, the more of a someone who's pretty far away from high school now. Uh, yeah, I. I get to I get to have um, those new experiences. So it's 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 a pretty cool movie. Kind of. Yeah, it's it's great. I hadn't seen it in a long time. It was uh, one of the things that's going to be has been a common theme of this month is that like I just watched these so many goddamn times that like you know I've essentially taken a self imposed fifteen year break. Not because like I'm sick of the movie, but just because you know when you watch a movie thirty times between a five year period, like you have to have a reason to want to watch it again. So that's one of the other reasons I was excited to do it for this. Um, podcast i think having not rewatched high fidelity um and and thinking that i'll still have a lot of affection for that movie um you know i on my favorite 250 movies it was gross point blank and say anything and my guess is when this is all wrapped up those would be the two that i would keep there because i i I love this movie it's it's weird seeing it so far away from the last time i watched it and the last time i watched it you know being a 20 something kid who was um, not exactly the same age, but not far removed from that age, and still feeling like there's a lot to to a lot to love. To still also just you know almost what thirty five years after this movie was released, still feeling like it is it is atypical to anything else from a, a high school romantic movie. Like this really feels 
um, you know, like I said, it was called out at its time as being unique, and I still think it is unique. I don't think there's just many movies like this. And one of the things that was interesting about like perusing reviews on Letterboxd from people that have seen it for the first time in like our in our film group circles or people that I follow like that have seen it for the first time in, in the last few years, that was kind of their takeaway too. That like, man, I've never seen another high school movie like that. And I don't have that perspective because I saw it when I was in high school, but like seeing people see it for the first time and not recognizing it or relating it to anything that they've seen in the last 30 years, 35 years is, is interesting as well. So yeah, I'm glad this one held up well and I'm really excited to, get into one that I also have, I'm very tied to personally and I haven't seen a long time that is kind of the, hey, hey what if the relationship ended badly and, and a Lloyd Dobler type kept trying to find the love of his life while also all of his yellow flags become red flags um, in, in high fidelity. So I'm excited to wrap up the month uh, next week. And I also am excited because I think high fidelity leads really well into uh, our double summer month, which we're doing a month early this year. So excited for that. Peter, you can say anything to me, but right now I'd like you to say good night so we can end this bad boy. Good night so we can end this bad boy. for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> If you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron